Rosa Parks was deemed by the U.S. Congress as the first lady of civil rights. In 1955, she was, as a black woman, she was sitting in the colored section on a city bus in Montgomery, Alabama, and refused to give up her seat to a white man who was looking for a place to sit. She was arrested and charged with violating the segregation laws. But that act led to the Montgomery bus boycott that some of you might remember that lasted for over a year. African Americans in Montgomery refused to ride the city buses and really made a statement as it really dented the buses economically. The city of Montgomery would eventually repeal the law of segregation on city buses and Rosa Parks to this day was considered the spark that ignited the civil rights movement in the South. Why do I mention this? Why do I start with this? Ladies, God can use the conversation, the behavior of a woman to bring about great change. He can do that. God can use your behavior, ladies, to bring about great change in the lives of others. This is what we're seeing as we're marching through 1 Peter chapter 3 in these opening verses. When a wife agrees with God, that means that her conversation will be seen as her husband as chaste and coupled with fear. That's what we see in verse 2. And when he sees this, ladies, he is looking at an example of or a model of who he needs to be because when your conversation is chaste and coupled with fear, what your husband is going to see when he sees you is he's not actually going to see you. He's actually going to see the Lord Jesus Christ in and through you. And that is what will bring about great change in his life. Now, with that being said, this is very critical. Very critical. The greatest enemy in the union of an unbelieving husband and a saved wife, listen, is the flesh of the saved wife. That is the greatest enemy in the union between a saved wife and an unbelieving husband. The greatest enemy is the wife, is the flesh of the saved wife. You say, prove it. Well, according to verse 1, how is the unbelieving husband won? How is he won? He's won by the conversation of his wife. And according to verse 2, what type of conversation must that be? It must be chaste or pure. But if her conversation is carnal, fleshly, not chaste, she'll never win him. This is why her flesh is the greatest enemy in that union. This is why we gave that critical verse last week, ladies, in Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. When the wife of an unbelieving husband makes provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, listen very carefully, 
she becomes a willing participant in advancing Satan's agenda to keep the gospel hidden from her husband. This is why I say your greatest enemy is not your husband. It's your flesh. And to the grief of the Spirit of God, and I do mean to the grief of the Spirit of God, some saved wives have become so embittered toward their unbelieving husbands that secretly they do not want him to repent. They are so angry. They are so unchristlike that quietly in their heart, they're actually rooting that he dies without Christ and spends eternity in hell that will be cast into the lake of fire and that he receives every ounce of eternal torment and punishment that lost people will experience in that place. There are some saved wives who have allowed themselves to become that carnal because they haven't put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that they're that embittered toward their, they don't have Christ's heart, and despite all the, but what about, and what if this, or what if that, and all the hypotheticals that usually come with this, which is typically code for this. I don't want to do what the Bible says. I don't want to think like that. I don't want to behave like that. So I'm going to throw you as many hypotheticals as I can throw you that will excuse me from what God is saying in 1 Peter chapter 3 in these six verses. But this counsel, ladies, from God is winning counsel. You can't lose if you follow this. But listen, this is so very critical for all of us. It is impossible. It is impossible to lose when you surrender to the will of God. It's impossible to lose. When you keep yourself under authority, you cannot lose. And we're given a visual of what it looks like when a wife takes heed to this winning counsel. As we saw last week, she is going to be a woman of pure behavior, as Carla reminded us of as we began this morning. She's going to be a woman who respects her husband. And that's not going to be occasionally, that's not going to be here or there. That's going to be her testimony consistently in her home. But there's more to embrace. Verse 3, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning, of plating the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. So again, you're getting a very clear visual of who you need to be as a wife, ladies. Now, in verse 3, it's very critical that we absorb, observe, not absorb, observe it too, but we'll, we'll observe it first, and then we can absorb it. How about that? Okay? But it's very critical that we observe that this word adorning was translated from the Greek word cosmos, which is the base of our word cosmetics today. So cosmetics refer to the products applied to the body, especially the face, to improve its appearance. 
And some of the ladies are saying, I wish my husband would start wearing makeup. I won't do it. Sorry. So sorry. Okay, good. All right, good. But here's what's interesting. I think this is critical. This word cosmos was translated as world in our New Testament 185 times. So now that starts to sharpen our focus, does it not? Listen, a worldly wife will not win an unbelieving husband. A worldly wife will not win an unbelieving husband. So here we go. The saved wife must be a godly woman. She must be a godly woman. She cannot be a worldly woman. She'll never win him. She's got to be godly. Adorning, it means orderly arrangement. And we see the breakdown of that in verse 3. Uh, plating of hair, that was an elaborate hairstyle. Wearing of gold, expensive jewelry, putting on of apparel, eye-catching attire. That is being outwardly ordered. That is being well put together outwardly. But here's the issue. The worldly woman is very ordered outwardly, but very disordered inwardly. If I can put it very plain, she's a mess inwardly. She's a mess. There are women who appear stunning to the natural eye. I mean, breathtaking beauty, you would say, until they open their mouth. And then you hear what's in their heart, and you hear what's in their mind, and it's repulsive. You see how messed up they are inwardly. The shine begins to fade so very quickly once they begin to speak. Ladies, as one of your pastors, I want you to know that my heart for you is so heavy this morning and what we're looking at, because I know that day in and day out, you are inundated with images and messages about beauty and womanhood and all of that. And listen, I'm going to just say it. All of it is garbage and pure filth and trash because it's not rooted in this. And my concern for so many of my sisters in Christ is that subtly, ladies, if you're not a biblicist, subtly you can find yourself despising the biblical perspective of womanhood. You can despise it and find that to be nauseating. But here's what I need you to process. Listen, the heart of a godly woman is not cosmetic. The heart of a godly woman is not cosmetic. Listen, godly women do not spend two hours on their makeup every morning and two minutes in the Word. There are Christian women who will spend hours making sure that they are outwardly ordered, but inwardly, they are as unsober as a pig. Now, I need you to carefully consider a verse that you know. Proverbs 31, 30, Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Would you notice 
the first half of this verse is worldly and the second half is godly? Is that not clear? That's very clear. For some ladies this morning, your insecurity is running so very deep, isn't it? And at best, your self-esteem is awful. It's not because of what the weight scale is telling you or what you're beholding in the mirror. No, it's because of the math that you're doing as a result of comparing yourself to other women. And you continually come up lacking. It's because you don't believe Proverbs 31 verse 30. You don't believe that. You don't. You're drinking and you're sipping the world's Kool-Aid about womanhood and beauty. And it's wrecking you. There is an abundance of research that's been done over the years with the emergence of social media that is showing, ladies, that there is a clear connection between social media and the self-esteem of women. And it is tanking. Listen, I'm not really on social media. I don't have Facebook. I'm like Mark and all that. And again, I'm not saying you're wrong if you do. But I will say this, just so you know this, ladies. Um, Women don't typically post pictures of themselves immediately after they get out of bed. Is that fair? Those aren't the images you're looking at, okay? The images that you're looking at come after several hours in front of the mirror. Now, ladies, I need you to hear this. I really do. Because, again, my heart for you is so full these weeks. Please, I beg you, social media for some ladies is as dangerous and as deadly as pornography is for some men. You say, please justify. Well, the end result is bondage. You get on Facebook and you scroll and, and, and you look at your, ex-husband, your, your husband's ex-girlfriend or whatever it might be and, and her vacation in the Bahamas and, and she looks fabulous and, and you look at yourself and go, why is he even with me? I wonder who's involved in that. That's not the Lord. Some of you ladies might need to reconsider what social media looks like for you. Now, I'm going to address what I know is running through the minds of more than a few ladies, which is men in general seem to be attracted to or turned on by women who present themselves in a risque manner publicly. Well, to that, let me give you a very critical point. Listen. Godly men find godly women beautiful. Godly men find godly women beautiful. That's how that works. Okay? As a married woman, please, I'm begging you a lot this morning. As a married woman, there's only one set of eyes that you are preoccupied with. Your husband's. Nobody else. 
No other man. The only eyes that you are concerned about when it comes to your physical appearance and all of that is your husband. Period. And listen, there is a certain kind of presentation of you that is for his eyes only in private. But married, worldly women don't dress for their husbands alone, do they? They don't. No, they still want to turn eyes and catch looks at Walmart and the workplace, don't they? Because they're worldly. See, it's carnal women that crave that type of carnal attention. They like to wear something as they walk by and they see the men looking or struggling not to look. That's the whole point, because they're carnal. They're not godly women. Look at 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 9. And like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Modest. Is that such a thing anymore? With shamefacedness, or that's bashful, or reverence, or very modest. And sobriety, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. If some Christian women were to be completely honest and transparent, they would have to confess that the biblical concept of modesty to them is perceived to be old-fashioned, outdated, and unnecessary. However, unless I'm mistaken, modesty is biblical, is it not? We have lost this. We have lost this. I I mean, it it is amazing to me that we've come to a place in our culture, and not just our culture, but even in a Christian culture, so to speak. We've come to a place where, I mean, some of the things that women will actually have the audacity to wear in public is trifling and indecent. God forbid that my daughter or my wife would ever leave my home looking like that. No, that is for your husband. I am preaching this morning. Ladies, I don't want to preach to you. I want to talk to you. But I am fired up about this. I got a lot on the line. I got a beautiful little 16-year-old girl. Oh, man. Hear this. The attire of a godly woman, listen, is never a distraction publicly. Would you agree with that? The attire of a godly woman is never a distraction publicly. That principle won't get a lot of likes on social media, but it gets a lot of likes with the Holy Spirit. One of the things I treasure about my wife from the moment I laid eyes on her to this very moment, she is full of class. She is a lady. She is a woman. She is adorned with godliness. I never, I have never had to consider, think about, worry about, critique her presentation before the Lord. It is clean, it's chaste. 
And she, not social media, or the garbage of reality TV, she is the ensample for my daughter. Praise the Lord. And I'm not preaching at anybody in particular. Uh, my heart is full, can you tell? <laughs> now, there is a balance to this, ladies. This is not license or permission for you to completely let yourself go. So ladies, let me give you a challenge, a charge. If you have not done this in a while, let me encourage you to ask your husband this question. Take some time this week and sit down with your husband, and I want you to ask him this question. How can I be the most attractive to you? If you have not done that in a while, it'll be good for you to do that. Now, husbands, while you're thinking about the amount of that gift card you're going to get me this week, <laughs> I need you to really hear me, okay? I really need you to hear me. That will be an extremely vulnerable exercise for your wife. And if you're not a godly man, you will do some immense damage. So let me tell you very clearly, brothers, what you cannot do and will not do with this, okay? Do not take her to the internet and show her an image of a woman that says, I want you to look like her. Okay? Also, do not refer to another woman as the model of what you want her to look like. Every, are you, brothers, are you hearing me? Can I get some amens with the gift cards? <laughs> you can do some serious damage, guys. Whatever feedback, she, you, whatever feedback you give her, be patient with her. And be willing to, if you can help her in any way, if there's something, because sometimes, you know, there's been times where Lori's like, hey, you know, I, I would like to eat better, but it doesn't help me if I'm trying to eat a salad and you're eating a cheeseburger. Well, that's selfish. That's selfish of me, right? So be, how can you help? And listen, don't remind her. Every three weeks, so, okay, so how's that going? And Have you done this and have you done that? No, 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 no. Just don't give even the hint that there's any kind of condition on this. Are you guys with me? Okay. Now, Peter continues the thought in verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So in case we did not get the message in verse 3, we should get it here. Those outwardly things are what? Corruptible. What is the root of the word corruptible? Corrupt. So this is the biblical perspective on these worldly things. They're corrupt. That's why as a, as a godly woman, you don't want them. And so Peter gave us a contrast between verses 3 and verses 4. We go from the outward focus in verse 3 to what? The inward focus in verse 4. 
You see that. And what we see in verse 4 does not fade or lose its shine like corruptible things do. Peter was describing, listen, I love it because I'm married to one, but he was describing a peaceful woman. A peaceful woman. An ornament is something you add to something to amplify its beauty, right? So the woman of pure behavior respects her husband and is godly. She alone, just that alone makes her beautiful, right? But when you add the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, what does it do? It amplifies her beauty. Her beauty goes next level. Very, very critical, ladies. Would you notice the value that God places on the meek and quiet spirit in a woman. How does God see that? Which is in the sight of God of great price. That's the premium. That's the value that God places on the meek and quiet spirit in a woman. Very precious to him. But oh, we must consider the contrast, don't we? How about it in Proverbs 21, 19? It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. The contentious and angry woman is not a peaceful woman. She's a woman of war. And how do we know that she's contentious and angry is because she's combative and loud. Not meek and quiet. I'm burdened. I'm concerned that the ornament of the meek and quiet spirit is very precious to God, but is despised by many saved women. God says, that's of great price to me. And over the years, what I've heard, ladies, is I've heard more than a few ladies try and convince themselves why they need to be the exception to this. It's of great price to God. <laughs> but let me tell you why that won't work for me. Uh, women of many words make provision for the flesh. Proverbs 10, 19. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. So if it's wise to refrain your lips, it has to be foolish if you don't. Hmm. Ladies, if I can graciously say this to you, there's only one person who can handle someone talking to them without ceasing. You get that? God tells you pray without ceasing. You got a green light. Your husband can't handle that, and he doesn't need to. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit regarding the frequency of your speech, and, and as important, the tone of it. 
Let me give you a verse to pray over and trust God in. It's Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. If you don't set a watch before your mouth, you won't watch what comes out of your mouth. People who don't set a watch before their mouth, they don't have a filter. They don't have discernment. They, whatever comes to mind, they just, it comes out. They think while they're speaking, or maybe they think after they're done. They don't, they don't do the math up front. Okay, what is it that I, I'm thinking of saying? Do I even need to say this? If I say it, how do I need to say it? And when do I need to say it? That's what setting a watch, whether you're a man or a woman. If I can be clear, the meek and quiet spirit in a woman is not an issue of personality. Whether you're introverted or extroverted, it has nothing to do with that. Listen, ultimately, the meek and quiet wife is so because of her spiritual maturity, not her personality. The outspoken, opinionated wife, listen, is simply spiritually immature. The woman walks through the house and just instructs her husband, and you need to do this, and you need to stop doing that, and you always like this, and and this, that, and the other, and, and just barking at him and talking authoritatively to him and just... Whatever comes to her mind, she just says it and correcting him with great comfort and ease. She's immature. She's told God that the meek and quiet spirit, it might be of great price to you, but it's dirt cheap to me. Ladies, it's not that you never speak, it's that you know when and how. You know, I'm learning that now, even with my 17-year-old son. There are times when I have to have conversations with him that are of a reproving nature. Or I have to correct something in him. It could be an attitude or something I'm picking up on. Do you know how I'll do that? Because I recognize that he's 17, he is a young man, and that respect issue is critical. I won't do it in front of Lori and Bree. I'll go in his room, I'll close the door, and man to man, we'll have a chat. We'll have a discussion. My voice is calm. My, why? Because I recognize that at 17, that, that issue for respect is critical. And if I mow him down, chop him down, cut him down in front of his mother and his sister, I, that's disrespectful to him. So man to man, that's how we deal with it. You got to be careful. All right, verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God 
adorn themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So to strengthen his point, Peter goes into the library of the Old Testament women to strengthen what he's trying to convey, but he singles out Sarah, who obeyed her husband and called him Lord. And the context there is Genesis chapter 18 in their old age. Abraham and Sarah were still childless biologically, and they get a visit from the Lord and two angels, and the purpose was to reaffirm the promise that they would, in fact, have a child. And so after doing that, look at Genesis 18, verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am wax old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. So this statement, and it ceased to be with Sarah, after the manner of women, points to the fact that Sarah at this point had gone through menopause, which meant that it was impossible for her to have a baby, physically. But in her old age, and in that situation where she could have been nasty and decrepit and negative and cantankerous and miserable and all of that, she still called him Lord. And she was probably struggling to believe this. Peter said that in the old time, holy women trusted in God. And how do you know that? Well, it was evident by how they treated their husbands. Did you know that? Did you know that how you treat your husband is a reflection of your faith in the Lord? Is he perfect? No, but God is. So you trust him, even if your husband is awful. <laughs> Spiritually, by faith, a believing wife is a daughter of Sarah. But Peter was addressing both Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish women would have understood this. The Gentile women would have needed clarification. Because they were not of the seed of Abraham biologically, so how am I a daughter of Sarah? Well, you are by faith, but here's what proves that. What proves that you are ultimately is how you treat your husband. Do you do well like Sarah did? That's how you'll know without being afraid with any amazement. This word afraid in verse 6, it means to frighten. Amazement means alarm. Look at verse 14 here in chapter 3 to give us some context to help us clarify what is being said here. Verse 14 but, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be trouble. So, not being afraid with any amazement means that a wife is reverencing her husband from a place of faith, listen, not trembling in terror and fear of her husband. Why? Because she trusts God. And she wants to please God ultimately, which is why she wants to do right by him in the home. So we close with this, ladies. As a wife, listen, you need to be a rare woman. You need to be a rare woman. 
Listen, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, I, I have said this about Lori many times over the years. I say, listen, they don't make them like you anymore. Or as a New Yorker would say, they don't make them like you no more. Right? They don't make them like you no more. They don't. You know who a rare woman is? A rare woman is a virtuous woman. A rare woman is a virtuous woman. Look at Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? She's not everywhere. She's not in abundance. She's rare. <laughs> I remember uh, it was parent-teacher conferences years ago. Bree was in second grade. And I know my children. So the teacher goes, Bree is so lovely. She's always compliant. It's a nice thing. She had one critique. She said, you know, I just wish she would speak out more. I, I just, I, I, I want to hear more from her. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not how she's being trained. See, I'm more interested in her knowing what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. I don't want my daughter going through life being anywhere, and, and, and you know how you know she's in the room? Because you hear her. <laughs> no, thank you. That's not how we're training Aubrey Morgan. I want her to be a rare, virtuous woman who, if I read correctly, when she opens her mouth, what comes out? Wisdom and kindness. Not, I'm in the room, what's up, blah, 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 blah. No. Wisdom, kindness. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The wife who is pure in behavior, respects her husband, is godly and peaceful, is rare. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for my sisters. I know you love them. Lord, I love them. Lord, I am so burdened because I know how the enemy bombards them every day with images and messages that absolutely do not align themselves with what your word has called them to be as women. God, may my sisters embrace your word May they be biblicists to the glory of God and to the edification of their homes. In Jesus' name, amen.